Welcome to Speaking of Sex with the Pleasure Mechanics. I'm Chris. I'm Charlotte. We are the Pleasure Mechanics, and on this podcast, we have honest, explicit, raw conversations about sex, pleasure, joy, and connection. We've been here with you for over 400 episodes now, and you'll find it all at pleasuremechanics.com, along with all of the resources we have been creating for you so you can explore more pleasure, more joy, deeper connection at your own pace, on your own terms, with our online courses. Our online courses guide you in everything from couples massage and our erotic touch techniques to kink and spanking, but also mindful sex and orgasmic meditation even. You'll find it all at pleasuremechanics.com and use the code SPEAKINGOFSEX for 20% off the online course of your choice. On today's episode, we are continuing celebrating Pride Month with a series of episodes that invite all of us into the glorious, humongous, expansive spectrum of human erotic expression. One of the things Pride celebrations remind us of is how different we all are, how unique and special each individual is as an erotic expression. And yet within that specificity, we also find belonging. We find kinship, we find community, we find the incredible pleasure of connecting with other humans that like the same things we like, that enjoy the same pleasures we do. Just like it's such a pleasure to find someone who reads the same, you know, niche genre of books you do or likes the same kind of music and can geek out on, you know, your favorite artist's newest release together, right? Connecting over our shared pleasures deepens these pleasures and brings us home to ourselves. And so in this episode, we are going to be giving you a very wide open choose your own adventure map into sexual orientations and identities, but orientations mostly. And I use that word plural very emphatically because as we're going to unpack here, sexual orientation, gender expression, erotic expression is so multifaceted, right? And we each have such a unique blend of these different expressions that you are so uniquely you. And that's what we want to see glisten and shine like the gem you are. Yes. <laughs> All right. I love oh. that. It's true, though, that when we really look at all of these identities and orientations, we can see how incredibly expansive this world is. And then we can really begin to notice and fine tune what specifically feels right to us right now. Because our experience with all of these orientations and identities can change over time. And it's interesting to just reflect in this moment on what feels right to you right now. Well, right. There's something that's so inviting about the permission for change, the permission for becoming an emergence, but then also a homecoming, a coming home to who we are, you know, and as parents, we see that, you know, in some ways 
we are all born who we are. And then it's just a matter of like, is there safety and permission and resources to express who we are? And as we'll explore in this episode, sexual orientation, we're not just born into kind of a neutral culture that allows us all to express ourselves as unique individuals, right? We have all been born into different cultures within the mega culture of this like current historical place on earth right now, right? But most of our cultures that we were born into were anything but permissive. In fact, they were prescriptive. Mm. You were born with a body and then that body was given a narrative that you had no say in. Mm -hmm. You were told what you were. And then in many cases, you were told who to be and who to love and how to love that person within a very narrow framework of what would be socially acceptable, permissible, and even rewarded. Right. And so we all have to give ourselves grace of understanding like the multiple cultural levels we were born into. Right. Because for some of us, our family home culture was different than the culture at school, which was different than, again, from the culture, you know, maybe a college we went to or the city we moved to. Some of us have more resources to choose our cultural context um, or more permission to do so. And so when we give ourselves this self-compassion of like, who I am now and how I think of myself, my story of myself may have been influenced by these cultural conditions and contexts. And maybe the choices I made weren't always from like a wide banquet of choice out of my own free will, but actually a very narrow set of choices. And I was up against so many spoken and unspoken, very explicit and sometimes subtle uh, prohibitions, inhibitions, and punishments, like flat out social punishments for certain kinds of expression. Right? Right, because we need permission to be able to want to express these parts of ourselves. Permission and safety. Yeah. And social safety means you can be seen as who you are and still belong. And if we just like give ourselves a pause here, like what are the sexualities and the gender expressions? And we'll be talking about how these interplay, right? Because you have the expression and the identity of kind of who you are, how you want to express your glorious self. And then there's the orientation and the identity around what kind of sex you want to be having and with who. So let's start breaking down all of these different axes of sexual orientation, which also frees us from this binary thinking, like, are you straight or are you gay? Are you queer or are you not? Are you vanilla or are you kinky, right? Those binaries as identities don't really serve us. And so what we're seeing now and what we'll start talking about is the proliferation of sexual orientations and identities. So there used to just be heterosexual identity, and that itself was a made-up concept. And I could geek out for hours about this, but we have to understand that these identities, these ideas of ourselves, are historically generated. They're made up on purpose. And then the story, the culture changes over history, right? So I'm going to rein myself in here. And just kind of say, like, the creation of the idea of a homosexual was a first, like, a medical idea, a psychological idea. 
a category that was created to other certain people into a class of sickness and criminality that could then be managed and treated. And then that identity of homosexual was then reclaimed, owned by people who said, aha, that fits my experience. This is a good descriptor of who I am. And then that category started breaking down and we got lesbian, gay, bisexual, right? And what we now think of as the kind of alphabet, that long strung out LGBTQIA, I could keep going, TS, asterisks, right? This long drawn out alphabet of identities and we're going to start breaking down some of these categories. What that represents is more and more language and specificity that gives more and more people permission to step into who they are. And so this language of identities can be permission-giving, socially connecting identity language that can help us describe who we are, what we like, and who we want to connect with. But it can also become divisive if we start trying to define these terms so narrowly and we try to other people away from these terms, right? So our invitation here is that this exploration of identity language is inclusive and connecting rather than divisive. And with that, we don't want to create any hierarchies of this one identity is cooler or more interesting than another. All of these count. It's about finding what is right for you. Um, But we don't want to create new hierarchies that have status in them. Mm -hmm. Um, We're trying to undo all of that and create more of a playground of erotic freedom and expression together. Because we can see that as one person inhabits these identities, it gives us all more freedom to be able to think about taking up a little bit more space in certain ways. Like we do create erotic freedom for ourselves and each other together. Right. And this reminds us how social, sexual and gender identity is. Mm -hmm. And so if you start thinking about your own story, right, if this was like a quick montage, however old you are, if you're 19 or 91 listening to this and we had to do a quick movie montage of your gender and sexual expression story, like what moments come up for you? Who did you know as a child that you wanted to live into or emulate? Like who were your role models? What movies or media or archetypes were really um, inspiring to you? But also, who were you told you were? Who did you have permission to be? And this isn't as simple as gender identity, right? Like, that's the first big bucket we get shoved into. Like, is it a boy or a girl? People start asking that before a baby is even born into this world. And we will have links in the show notes to all of this, right? There's a very complex conversation behind almost everything we're about to say. And we'll do links galore in the show notes as always. And you'll find all of that at pleasuremechanics.com. But these identity categories are so much kind of these embodied cultural stories of not only are you a boy or a girl, but what kind of boy or girl are you? What are you expected to be? What values are you expected to embody? How narrow or expansive was that window within your home culture? Um, And it can be actually very stunning to realize that even in kind of well-meaning homes, we are raised into a very narrow window of permissibility. Mm -hmm. And I've been having all these conversations recently, and part of the inspiration for this episode 
was talking to adults now, people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, who just now feel socially safe enough to start questioning and opening up to what they've known to be true their whole lives. Things like bisexuality or non-normative gender expression, this kernel of self that they've kind of held and protected, but that never had any space to breathe. And they're like, wow, like I fit into my straight, vanilla, cis, hetero role so well, but there's this other thing that wants to come out and play. And so we're trying to give us all permission here and permission to change because the other big lie we're told is that you are one thing, Mm -hmm. that you have an orientation. And if there's anything true about sexuality, it's that there are big spectrums of normal Right. And that's the other big spectrum we're going to paint here is that it's all normal. It's all good. It's all healthy as long as everyone's consenting and having fun and enjoying themselves and expressing themselves. Right. And we can move along these gradients and that that itself is part of our orientation. Okay. So let's start breaking some of this down. And I already started naming some of these gradients. And Charlotte, I want you to repeat the part about no hierarchies (laughs) as we go into this. We are so interested in erotic freedom and expression for all of us. We have grown up in a culture where we are obsessed with identity as um, an avenue for status. Like we categorize everyone and everything always. That is how we are trained. And so if we want to start unpacking that for ourselves, we want to create a space where there is acceptance for all of this and no one identity or orientation is better or cooler or more interesting than another. And curiosity about the complexity. So as we start breaking this down, we're going to start giving you these kind of examples that it might take you a while for your brain to compute, right? Like, How could those things be true all at once? But what's so amazing about us humans is that we are such complex, beautifully faceted, erotic beings. Mm -hmm. This is one of the reasons we never get bored with our job, right? Mm -hmm. People say like 400 episodes, do you run out of things to talk about? No, never. (laughs) To the thousands. (laughs) Because it is so beautifully complex. And as you get to know someone and, you know, we talk, we've been talking about on shows that we've been dating recently. And one of the things I love about dating are these tender first conversations where you kind of reveal yourself to one another. And you're because you're dating and you're looking for compatibility there, part of expression, we are reminded, it's like who you are and what you want to express is part of what attracts who you want and want to experience things with. Right. And so it's like we almost put out like a call sign. The ways we express ourselves say something about ourselves that are then kind of these beautiful social feathery flags Mm -hmm. that attract our erotic kin, the people we want to belong with, the people we want to get inside their bodies of, the people we want to explore and express and create with. Because sex is social and is an avenue to creating belonging. Like this is one of its major functions in life is to create connection and belonging and kinship. And belonging is both like being seen and accepted and held as fully who you are. Right. And so that the extent to which you can be held is the extent to which you have revealed yourself. Mm. Mm. 
and it's being in erotic community and kinship and partnership and connection with the people that want to share those experiences with you. So it's both like an expression and a calling. And this is why we like the word orientation. Orientation is an expression and a mapping of something along guided points, right? And that can be a compass is our most like easy image of orientation where we're orienting to the earth's magnetic fields itself, right? Mm. That's a pretty big orientation. We orient to gravity all the time as creatures on this earth. You better rein me in here. But (laughs) orientation is both like where we are and what we're drawn to and what we want to attract, right? Mm. So let's start breaking this down and we will do a full kind of map of all of the different axes of sexual orientation and kind of explore how expansive this can be. So after a quick break to thank our sponsor for this episode, I want to dive into exploring all of the different axes of sexual orientation and just how complex and beautifully specific we can get. And this is one of those pleasure precepts that we infuse throughout our work here at Pleasure Mechanics is the invitation to get specific. Because when we can get more specific, we get what we want. Mm. And we also create opportunities for connection and depth of intimacy that are not available to us at the generic level. (laughs) So it is much more specific to walk into a restaurant and say, I want a spicy noodle, no meat, with lots of fresh veggies, than to walk in and say, I'd like a pasta dish, right? Where you might get spaghetti and meatballs. It's not what you wanted. And so whether we're talking about erotic touch and how to bring voice to asking for the specific kind of pressure you want as your lover glides up your back, or we're talking about erotic touch and how to get really specific about the kinds of sensations you like on your most sensitive parts, or we're talking about setting up a spanking or a kink scene where you have to get really specific and the more specific you get, the more fiery it is, the more intense it can be because you're both getting what you want and staying away from the things you don't want, right? And so you can get to a point of satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And when we're talking about sexual orientation and gender expression, we want to move away from any deficit model or any model of normal or as Charlotte was saying, hierarchy and move to a place of euphoria for all of us where we all have the opportunity to express who we are, what we want, who we want to play with, how we want to connect and have the permission and the social um, acceptance and celebration of that specific expression for you at this time with permission to change and grow, right? And that is so different than sexual orientations that exist along a spectrum of normal to abnormal, you know, socially accepted to socially you know, punish. And we are still at that place where certain sexual orientations don't have the same civil rights as others, can get fired from their job for who they are, where we have states legislating in don't say gay laws, 
Like we are at a place of cultural crossroads where we all need to step up and be able to express who we are and what we believe in and do that with a ferocity and a willingness to create freedom for others and for generations to follow. Because any sexual freedom you now enjoy is on the backs of the queer liberation fighters, of trans women who, you know, in New York City who are fighting back against the policing of their bodies and the brutality of the laws and the culture they live in and still live in, right? Like this is an intergenerational struggle for freedom. Welcome to Pride Month. It's Mm -hmm. for us all. And after the break, we're going to break down, we're going to unpack sexual orientation and invite you into expressing more specifically who you are, you dear, precious, glorious, erotic creature. Mm. So you can be held and cherished and lavished and loved more fully. Yeah? That is so beautiful. And I just love this point that we can be known and held when we are let ourselves be seen and yes. we reveal ourselves. Yes. Like, let's just take that in for a minute because that is so profound mm-hmm. and such an invitation. Mm-hmm. And let's explore all of those realms after a quick break to thank our sponsor for this episode, likeakitten.com. At likeakitten.com, you can choose from a beautiful curated gift box of sex toys, accessories, lingerie, lubes, and more themed around the season or an event. Or you can curate your own box by choosing from curated categories so you can get specific and get exactly what you want in your box. These boxes are an incredible value. They arrive in a gift-ready yet discreetly shipped package, and they are perfect gifts for the wedding season, bachelorette parties, and even just as a gift for yourself anytime. Go to likeakitten.com pleasure for 15% off and free shipping of your beautifully curated box of erotic tools and pleasure toys. That's likeakitten.com. Use the code pleasure for 15% off and free shipping. And as always, you will find all of our sponsors, links and generous discounts at pleasuremechanics.com toolbox. That's pleasuremechanics.com toolbox to fill your pleasure toolbox with some of our favorites. All right. Are we ready to wander into the great expanse of sexual orientation and identities? And what I want to say again is this is an invitation. It's an open-ended one, right? It's a choose your own adventure. And with the reminder that your expression is contextual, And you don't have to express all of who you are in all of your social contexts. You can find zones of safety, even if that's just within your own imagination, your own fantasies, your own mindset. Like you can give yourself the gift of a little bit more permission and acceptance or start having conversations with others, join an online community. We talked a lot about this in the coming out episode last week. But give yourself grace here as you have maybe some stirrings or some realizations or some aha moments, because we're about to explode open some categories that you might have been told are pretty fixed. Mm. 
right? Like most of us are aware now that there's like straight and queer and that maybe there's like different gender expressions, but there's a lot more to sexual expression than that. So let's start exploring. We've talked about gender expression and this is, you know, there are whole podcasts and we will link to some in the show notes about gender expression. It's a complicated conversation in and of itself. But I think of gender expression as one of the ways we express socially and out into the world who we feel ourselves to be, right? But that's actually not how a lot of people experience their gender. Their gender has been more prescribed. You are a girl and you are this kind of girl in this kind of body and therefore that means this package of things. And so just take a minute and even if it's for the first time in your life, like think about what has been your gender identity and expression, how much room, how much wiggle room has there been there, how much permission to think beyond that assigned gender identity, and how might you want to give yourself permission to explore that a little bit more broadly. And makeup is just one really easy way like makeup and hairstyle right and then it goes to clothing but also body language movement position how you walk how you take up space socially right gender is very complicated but if you think about your relationship to makeup are you supposed to wear it or are you not supposed to wear it what kind of makeup are you allowed to wear what does it mean if you wear makeup your freedom to put stuff on your face and in what way has been completely pre-assigned to you by your assigned gender identity. And that can then be extended to hairstyle, all of these other categories I just mentioned, right? So how much have you cohered to what has been assigned to you? And that's not always a bad thing. And again, no hierarchies here, right? For some people, what was assigned to them feels just right. Mm -hmm. It's a home. Mm -hmm. It's like, I love putting my makeup on in the morning and getting my hair done and putting my heels on and it feels wonderful. How wonderful to be assigned something that feels good to you. For others of us, like if I had to go to a job and put on makeup and heels every day because I was assigned female at birth and I started feeling the discomfort in that as a child, I started choosing, you know, as soon as I could, different kinds of clothing, different kinds of expression. And some people for the first time right now in this conversation or the first time they go to a pride event or the first time they meet a trans friend, the first time they feel socially safe enough to have permission, and we are trying to grant that to you now, to just start thinking beyond what was assigned to you and what might else be true for you. What parts of yourself have you buried or hidden or minimized or made a joke about, right? Like, how do you minimize parts of yourself that might not fit with what you've been assigned? Things you want to do, ways you want to express yourself, right? Or just things you feel curious about. Yes. If you have never put on makeup, what would it be like in your home where there's no one around and you're completely alone to just experiment and see how it feels and what comes mm. up? You know, these are just areas to explore and notice and see what's there. And then we're going to invite you not to make meaning about these things so mm. quickly. Mm. Because part of the unpacking here is that things don't have to mean what you think they mean. And certainly not what our history of sexual oppression and the culture of domination has told you they mean. And so this comes up a lot. And as we get into the sexual orientation categories, the things you want to do and with whom 
there's a lot of assigned meaning, just like you are assigned a gender identity. There's assigned meanings to things that might be causing you a lot of confusion and discord. And I'm thinking here about some of my guy friends who like to wear silky skirts. Mm -hmm. And when I first heard this, I'm like, oh, that's awesome that you're exploring being femme and da da da. And I, with my own assumptions, leaped to it. It meant something about their gender identity. But what it actually meant was a sensation seeking. Mm -hmm. They just wanted to feel the satin rub up against their cock. And they liked how that felt as they walked around in the breeze. And what a different meaning that is. This comes up a lot with prostate play and anal touch. And we've been teaching prostate massage for 15 years now and watched the culture change and get open up ha, 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 about <laughs> anal play for men, right? Mm -hmm. It's not as uh, edgy as it was at all 15 years ago when we started the Healthy Prostate as our first project together. <laughs> um, but the biggest concern we still hear is, I like it when my butt is touched, does that mean I'm gay? Mm -hmm. And so we're conflating there a sex act and a pleasurable stimulation with an identity and maybe even a gender expression. Mm -hmm. So you see how we conflate these things and how then limiting that is. Because it's like, well, if this, then that, but that's not true. So this must... And that is what causes a lot of the dysphoria. And again, this word dysphoria versus euphoria. So how do we all move towards euphoria? Okay, rein me in yet again. <laughs> so gender expression, right? And so again, just taking away that binary of male, female, and even I dare to say of cis and transgender and exploring what it would be like to live in a culture, right? And this is an imaginatory process. We are imagining things towards a future we want to create together, right? I own that right now legislation is going up about gender, about transgender, about who has access to health care, about criminalizing the parents of trans children. And those are all conversations we need to be very active in and take seriously while we do the work, the thought experiments and in our own bodies and lives and relationships and cultures that we can create with our families and friends and lovers, right? Create new possibilities together. Okay, so on the gender spectrum then, we have the option of not only looking at and questioning what was assigned to us, right? Because that's a first step is like, what was I assigned? How have I limited myself? What might be some ways I can expand that? but then also giving ourselves permission to stop thinking in these terms of masculine and feminine, of male and female, and see what happens. Like, who would you be and how would you express yourself if you didn't have to be a good man, quote unquote, or a right kind of woman? I don't know. That's just a thought experiment, but we're going to keep moving. Now. <laughs> Find more in the show notes. Um, and again, this is not saying that everyone has to be gender non-binary or gender expansive and we're going to slow this down to say like along these spectrums, some people have very fixed points and that's their home and that's cool with them. That feels right. Some people like to slide along spectrums or have wider ranges of what's normal for them. Sometimes I'm like this and sometimes I'm like this. Some people bring out this part of me and others bring out this part of me. Some people jump along spectrums at different seasons of their lives and are chameleons and just change, right? Um, and this is true with all of these spectrums. 
And that is part of the orientation and part of your kind of location here is like, how fixed is this for you? How changeable? How fluid? And you get to explore and define that. This is, again, a choose your own adventure. There's no right or wrong. And this is all normal and healthy. And so a quick example before we move on is like with gender expression, some people have one gender expression, they dress the same, they look the same most days, they act the same. Other people have kind of a fluid gender and they are within a range for themselves. Sometimes they dress this way and others this way. And some people have seasons, some people make big transitions. So again, the invitation, whether you have a fixed point, multiple points, or fluidly move along these spectrums, notice what feels true for you. And especially what would be true for you if there were no consequences. If you felt safe to explore a little (laughs) bit more, if you gave yourself that sense of safety in your own mind, in your own home alone, or with someone who is super supportive, because that can really change what you give yourself permission to explore. Mm -hmm. And so then after gender expression and like solo, what who expressing who you are comes sexual orientation and the expression of who you want Who do you desire? And then all of these different categories we're going to break down of how do you desire them? Some people have a type, right? A quote unquote type and a very narrowly defined type of the kind of human they are sexually attracted to. Other people are sexually attracted to a lot of different kinds of people, right? And so even the categories of bisexual don't make sense to some folks because it's like bi kind of indicates a category of two and For a lot of people, pansexual is a term you might hear, or omnisexual, um, or sexually fluid. And for some folks, we're attracted to a lot of different kinds of people. And then other people are attracted to like a very specific kind here and a very specific kind there, and they might have like a smattering of types, right? And so who you're attracted to and how narrow or expansive that is, is another axis of sexual orientation. I love how sexual orientation is framed around what we desire, who we would like to be having sex with. So this is distinct from what our actions are. This is different from what activities we're doing with whom. So it's really centering our desire, which I love. Mm. And it can be more expansive than who we're having sex with right now. Mm -hmm. So to take that in a minute, so your sexual orientation and all of these orientations really can you can identify beyond what you either have access to or want to do in terms of your behavior or you can have behavior that is outside of your orientation uh-huh an identity right and so those things can be true and so right and the disparity between those things the distance between these things is again just another difference amongst us um And when I say access to, you might be a bisexual guy in a heterosexual monogamous relationship. And so just by the nature of the boundaries of your relationship, you identify, you are oriented as bisexual, but your behavior is heterosexual. Um, But that doesn't mean your identity has to be or that your fantasies have to be or that your kind of expressions have to be. But sometimes our cultural contexts and access to safety is a huge part of defining how we express ourselves. Does that make sense? 
Like I want to allow for us both to have choice about how we express ourselves and to acknowledge we all don't have freedom to make that choice. Mm -hmm. And a lot of our expression is under duress. And that's going to become clear in some of these next categories we break down. Um, And some of these categories might be new to you and new ways of thinking about something as like sexual orientation. But as we talk about it and as you think about it, it becomes clear like how defining they are not only in terms of the choices we make, but our satisfaction. Mm. So recently we came out as being open again. We started as an open relationship and then we're kind of monogamous um, because of travel. Again, context and life decisions and illness and pregnancy and family. And now we're open again. And so our kind of orientation has shifted a little bit. And that orientation, so are you in a monogamous one-on-one relationship or are you in an open relationship are you ethically non-monogamous are you polyamorous what is the difference between those two terms right what do they indicate Um, or are you someone that doesn't want to be in a relationship at all a soloist right and we don't create enough cultural space for soloists people who might be very interested in romantic relationships and in sexual relationships but want their own space, their own domestic space, their own life space. And so they identify as soloists. I do not want a relationship, but I might want romance and sex. And again, the breaking apart of these two categories. So we can talk about being heteroromantic and bisexual or homoromantic and omnisexual. So using the romantic category there to indicate who you want to be in more of like an emotional relationship with. With like intimacy and the, the connection and the romance. Mm-hmm. And often that stands in for like emotional um, tracking one another's days, holding one another kind of in that intimate way versus sexual orientation who you want to get physical with, who you want to get aroused with, whose genitals you want to put where (laughs) and how, right? And your romantic orientation can differ from your sexual orientation and getting specific about that might make things more clear to you and they might align. And so that separation is not useful to you. Mm -hmm. So then there's how many partners do you want from zero to many And then there's how much sex do you want to be having with those partners? Because someone can want a romantic relationship, but no sex. And they might identify as being asexual. I desire no sexual contact. I have no sexual arousal to share with someone else. Um, I don't desire sexual intimacy. So asexual is a category. And then I like to name the opposite end of that spectrum, megasexual. And us megasexuals have a lot of sexual intimacy desire. We have a lot of appetite, a very high appetite for sexual intimacy itself, for physical body-to-body arousal-generating sweaty sex, right? Or what kind of sex do you want to be having? I just want to name that asexual folks, though, some of them still do want to have sex, but it's not because of the sexual attraction. Right. So you could be asexual, very romantic, Mm -hmm. and agree and consent to sexual activity as a way of expressing the romantic intimacy Uh that you enjoy. 
And so this is where you can see how these categories can kind of be like, whoa, whoa, you're asexual, but enjoy sex with people you're highly romantic with. And it like as we map these out and think about them as just a human, a complex, individual, specific human expressing this as their truth, and we can just accept it with curiosity, it gives us so much permission because within all of these axes, we can then be more free to be ourselves and to allow change, right? So again, the changing, the homecoming, the becoming. Um, so we've talked about who we are, who we want to be having sex with, how much sex we want to be having, how much that sex and romance align or are different. Um, so then there's the demisexual to anonymous spectrum of how emotionally connected do you want to be before you're kissing someone? Right. Or, do you, or do you actually prefer that you don't know their name or you don't know anything about them? This right. is really specific for people. And so this term demisexual indicates a desire to know someone specifically and as an individual and connect with them before or as an enhancement to sexual intimacy. And then, as you said, people who want anonymous sex and who feel more sexually free with less Emotional personal connection. connection. Yeah. Right. And again, we need to think about as we explore these identities, what we think is true about ourselves, what we have been taught is supposed to be true, right? And where can we give ourselves more permission for freedom? Like, where do we want to push at this bubble a little bit and expand into? Um, some more axes of sexual orientation um, include things like kink and vanilla, right? And so this term vanilla was kind of coined as the opposite of kinky. But again, we see these are not useful categories. What happens if the term vanilla or kinky was no longer useful and the conversation was more like, what do you specifically want to experience? How do you want to feel during our sex what do you want to play with like emotionally right what is your appetite or interest in playing with power how interested in domination or submission are you and then getting specific with that sure. right and this is what we do in our kinky sex course yeah. is we insist on specificity because if you're going to play with someone you need to know specifically what they want and what they don't want and that conversation can be the most sexy, erotic, generative, rich, you know, like to get to be specific and ask for what you want from someone who's eager to give it to you. But sometimes this needs guidance, right? And especially when we're exploring these things for the first time, it's like, well, I know I want to feel this way, but I don't quite know how to get there. And so I tried to design the kink course to kind of walk us through getting more and more specific, trying things on in really simple interactive ways, right? We have like these lists of erotic dialogue that you can go back and forth with and just try something out in your mouth and notice how it feels. Mm -hmm. And then you can get specific of like, oh, I'm kind of a dominant top, but I also really love being taken care of and cuddling, right? And we can dial it in for one another. What is true for you right now? 
because there are so many different energies you can layer on top of all of those right. all of those activities all of those roles so right i mean this so, we've talked you know, about these axes like who are you who do you want to be with how do you want to be with them how often do you want to be with them how intense is the sex you want to be having how kinky or creative is the sex you want to be having how romantic is the sex you want to be having um it is such an invitation just to get curious about yourself and then to get ever more specific and like, how do you want to feel? What are you craving right now? What is the erotic medicine your life needs? Mm. Right. As we come home to ourselves as erotic beings, we can be fed, we can be nourished. But I do want to end with this idea that when we invite people in, there are people who are attracted to you specifically specifically like the more specific you get the more vulnerable you get in revealing like who you truly are the more people can love you and give you what you want and you'll be attracted into these communities of people who think you are the hottest creature on this earth like you are someone's fantasy and owning that I think is also part of pride and is part of this like orientation conversation is like who I am specifically, and I've had huge lessons in this recently, mm-hmm. but like who I am specifically in my body and my expression is so deeply wanted and cherished. And to be held in that is just precious. That's, you know, an erotic homecoming for me. So, and I think so many people long for that experience, yes. but in order to have that experience, we have to accept and then experience some pride around who we are and then share that Mm -hmm. and I think we're so used to the cultural conversation that we're not enough or that we need to do x y or z before we can be sexy or wanted and it's so far from the truth like who you are right now with all of the complications and nuances is enough and is so desirable when how do you want to be wanted right how do you want to be wanted? Because this difference between I'm asexual but highly romantic and I just want someone to lie and pillow talk with and geek out on these things that I'm so into and maybe have cuddles with and that is what I want versus I want to be ravished and devoured in a graveyard by a near stranger. Those are really different wants. They are both legitimate. They are both healthy And they both have partners to meet them and they have both people to connect with or not. If you're a soloist, but you want sexual connection, you can invite people into your life with that invitation. I want to add one more axis Mm. that we didn't mention earlier just to round it all out. And we know that there are so many more, right? Like this is still incomplete. Bless, bless sexuality. (laughs) Um, Just the interest in one-on-one sex versus like group and communal sex. Like that is another whole orientation that people have really strong preferences, likes, wants, aversions to. Some people may not have access to group uh, communal erotic space, but... It is out there. Um, and so just to check in with yourself, your interest level and yeah, curiosity. But I even met someone recently that wasn't into threesomes. And I was kind of like, wait, what? <laughs> and they were like, no, just one-on-one sex is what I like. I don't like anything more than two. And I was kind of surprised by this because for me, you know, I love group energy and threesomes is like a beautiful starting well, point for that. And it's such a fantasy um, for so many people. So it's so interesting people. for people who've experienced it and then are like, no, thank you. Uh-huh. Like, 
that's also always an option right and then from there so how much do you like partnered sex Mm -hmm. that one-on-one energy some people love sex but not actually one-on-one partnered sex they find that either you know boring understimulating or overstimulating in some way some people love solo sex and have just tremendous amounts of solo sex in their life and other people don't want to masturbate that often and they don't like sex with themselves and not because they're not sex positive, right? And we're going to wrap this up with a reminder that along all of these different axes, there is choice, there is movement, and we are seeking a world where there is no hierarchy and there is no status assigned to different points along these gradients. And that there's sexual safety so that whatever it is that you want can be safely expressed and accepted and held and that there is a sense of kinship and belonging. What would that feel like? And what would what would what would your answers <laughs> to all of these be in that situation if you've actually yeah. deeply felt safe and held? Because that might be completely different than where you're at right now. And that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. And so we're envisioning a world with more sexual freedom and pleasure and safety for all of us. And meanwhile, creating those zones for one another and ourselves, even if it's just in our own mind and attitudes, even if that's just for a moment. Yeah, that counts. Yep. We invite you into this exploration. You'll find way more resources in the show notes and at pleasuremechanics.com, our forever home where we have tons of incredible resources to guide you stroke by stroke, step by step along your erotic path. You'll find it all at pleasuremechanics.com. We'll be back with you next week with another episode of Speaking of Sex. If you love this podcast, give us a rating and a review on the podcast app of your choice. It really helps us out. And if you want to find ways to go deeper with us yet, you'll find that at pleasuremechanics.com slash love. We love you. We will see you next week. I'm Chris. I'm Charlotte. We are the Pleasure Mechanics. Wishing you a lifetime of pleasure.